Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. You're going to be much more capable and have a, a much greater impact in the long term if you kind of take it slow and deep instead of trying to go as high and fast as possible. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of cleantech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, hey, and welcome back, Solar Warrior. I am pumped. We're having a good week here in Suncast, and I'm honored to have you here spending time with us during lockdown. I don't know about you, I'm getting cabin fever. I'd love to be able to get out on the town, but we are stuck inside, so who better to spend time with than you, my friend? Today's episode was originally scheduled for the week that coronavirus really started to take an impact and toll on the U.S. economy, and the guest and I agreed We didn't really think it was the right timing, so some of the references here to Super Bowl and other stuff is a bit dated, but we hope that you'll appreciate the insights nonetheless. You know, the solar industry has a marketing problem. While we're doing a ton of good and covering millions of rooftops with clean energy harvesting solar panels, the fact is that the vast majority of these clean power generators are tucked away, up on a roof and out in a field far from public view. Today, we hear from an entrepreneur who cut his teeth in product marketing for one of the most well-known brands in the world. And now he's turned his sights toward helping fix the branding and visibility problems inherent with solar projects. Craig Merrigan and his company, Spotlight Solar, have created one of the most beautiful solar products that you've ever seen. Don't take my word for it. Next Air's subsidiary, Florida Power & Light, has installed hundreds of them around the state to demonstrate their commitment to clean, sustainable energy. Today, we'll hear from Craig about what it means to make solar visible. Hope you'll stick around. And if you love this episode, then you should check out the hundreds of other founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com and sign up to receive our notifications with the Energy Tribe newsletter when the next episodes drop. Just in case you've missed it, our inaugural Suncast Virtual Summit was amazing, but you can check out all the past live sessions at suncastsummit.com. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, all right, Solar Warriors. Today is going to be a fun journey into the process of not just hopping over from one industry to another, extrapolating the career, learning into building a solar business, but the process of product design and marketing as it relates to bringing new solar products to the world. For the last few years, I've had the extreme pleasure and honor, in fact, to know today's guest, Craig Merrigan, who's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Spotlight Solar, right here in our backyard in the Raleigh-Durham Triangle area. We've spent a number of long lunches and coffees talking about the process of bringing a new product into the world. Today, we're going to spend some time with Craig. Craig, first of all, let me say hello and bring you into the show. Hi, Nico. It's a privilege to be with you here with Suncast. Yeah. In fact, it's been, uh, it's been something that we've been talking about for a long time, so I'm glad that we could uh, make this happen today. 
Now, something that's interesting uh, for folks who don't know Craig and his company, Spotlight Solar, they're the maker of these uh, basically architectural solar structure. A lot of us in the industry look at them and call them solar trees. They're designed to bring solar technology into higher visibility places in a very, very elegant way. Better, I like to think that it's, a, it's the most beautiful solar tree in the industry, and it has been uh, deemed as such by many of our colleagues in the industry. A couple of tidbits about Spotlight. Spotlight's a certified B Corp. You know, uh, the, the certification that means that you're creating a positive impact for community employees and environment, along with creating good for the world as a business, maybe get into some of the uh, underlying reasoning for that. But I love, uh, I love the story of how you got into the solar industry, and, and I want to get into that for sure. But before that, you had a rather distinguished career in marketing, sort of at, at a high level, at a, um, a very sort of see into the matrix type of roles at Quaker and IBM and Lenovo. The one thing I'm intrigued by in all, in all cases, when I see someone uh, like you, Craig, who had a high, uh, well, we'll say high paying, high level position at a global company who pulls the ripcord, as it were, and, and decides to change direction, uh, is the underlying uh, narrative of finding oneself or, or moving on to the next Thing. Can you explain for me the catalyst for you that led you to leave uh, what was a very successful career that you know ended uh, most recently at, at Lenovo, where you were leading uh, design and marketing? Feel free to talk a bit about your role at Lenovo as well. How did you transition from that and first get your exposure into solar power, clean energy, and decide that that's where you wanted to take the next step? Well, in the transition, uh, I was vice president of consumer marketing globally for Lenovo. The transition from IBM to Lenovo? Uh, sorry, no. Uh, I came from IBM to Lenovo when Lenovo bought IBM's personal computer division. And I think I might have been the only volunteer uh, to come <laughs> from IBM to Lenovo because uh, I wasn't in the PC division at IBM at the time. Uh, but clearly, Lenovo wanted to invest to grow and innovate in that space. And knowing the tremendous capabilities that, that were there in the group from IBM, that really sounded intriguing. And having the opportunity to come in and lead brand development, marketing strategy, and design, which I'm passionate for, looked like a tremendous opportunity and privilege. And probably the, the most intense learning of my whole career was the four years I spent that role and, and in consumer marketing at Lenovo. Uh, so it was a, a tremendously uh, engaging time learning how to kind of take a brand that was uh, dominant in China, that being Lenovo, but unknown anywhere else, uh, introduce it and navigate the transition from IBM and IBM uh, sub-brands that were powerful like ThinkPad uh, and kind of bring this out to the world and certainly can't claim credit for this, but uh, the Lenovo experiment was quite successful. Uh, it grew from you know, a, a distant share competitor to the number one uh, over the space of six or seven years uh, after that uh, transition. So, is a tremendous place to be, but I am always attracted to new things and always attracted to things that are beneficial. As the solar industry was starting to emerge in 2008 and 2009, uh, I became really attracted to it and started looking very closely at how I might 
enter that industry. So that was a big pull. Uh, the push was the well-known uh, downturn in our economy in 2008 and 2009, which resulted in uh, me and many of my colleagues having an opportunity to go find something else to do. You know, certainly having this this push to move on to the industry I was feeling a strong pull toward and kind of upgrade to something that I felt was a yet more beneficial industry and technology definitely never looked back. And around that time was coincidentally when the North Carolina state tax and the sort of beginning boom of the North Carolina solar industry was taking off. I mean, your your friend and mine, uh, the Kingeries, and uh, you know the Strata folks, uh, Cypress Creek was not yet born. Uh, you know these companies were starting to pioneer uh, the last of the real purple markets and rip out uh, an incredible growth for the North Carolina utility scale market. Uh, did did that have anything to do, or is that coincidental? Did that have anything to do with kind of how you saw solar? Because I, I mean, I speaking from my personal experience at that time, I was trying to figure out a way to get back to South Carolina from California and just sort of get close to my family because we were having kids. Uh, and couldn't find a company. Our Argand was kind of the only one really that was showing significant growth. Um, and they eventually did get acquired. Um, you know, were you beginning to make friends in that space? The Triangle's a really small area. How did you get that, reach that, uh, that first connection or that introduction into the industry of physical realm more than just a theoretical, like this seems like an interesting industry to segue into? Yeah, Nico, it, that context had everything to do with um, path I chose. Uh, I think I first met Bob and Maria Kingery in the industry, and they were pioneers in that context you just described, the, the early days of uh, the North Carolina market uh, surging. And that was a little bit before uh, Strata Solar cracked the code on kind of utility scale as a product, if I can put it that way. But knowing both of them and kind of seeing up close how they were navigating uh, this market and, and inventing this industry was um, a lot of input into my thinking in how to approach the industry. So my first step into the industry actually was to do uh, a lot of consulting work for Southern Energy Management. Uh, so I worked closely with Bob and Maria Kingery and their team for many months and mm. became intimately aware of... Uh, the industry dynamics from the point of view of an EPC in 2009, 2010. Yeah, how interesting. And they're one of the really early pioneers in the Carolinas, uh, certainly in North Carolina. I think one of the first, along with Richard Harkrader and Carolina Solar, they were one of the early companies to really attack uh, not just sort of the idea of residential solar, but taking it to commercial rooftops. Yeah, and I thank Credit as well for being one of the first B corporations and certainly an oh, inspiration wow. for us to follow suit. As you started to look at through the lens of the, the struggles with Southern, Southern Energy Management's growth. And I, I recall very well, having uh, met Bob around that time, uh, the many conversations they were in about how to grow. And they were the first company uh, I really knew out of North Carolina that had uh, sort of nationwide um, relationships and experience and were really thinking outside of the, the, the local box, as it were. How, how did your experience in branding and product and distribution uh, inform what you saw as a need in the solar industry? Well, if, as you remember uh, from marketing class, and I, I mentioned it a bit ago, there are four P's in marketing. So as I approached my work with Southern Energy Management, 
I was prepared to deal with all of those aspects of marketing. Uh, and I learned, uh, much to my disappointment, that the industry itself, this is not Southern Energy Management in particular, but the industry, even back in 2009, was already commoditizing. And by that, I mean they're majoring on 1P, which is price. And essentially, you know, competing on cost per watt or you know, IRR or payback period, it, it's all shorthand for price. And what happens when you're in a market like that, and I know it well because the same thing happened in the personal computer business, is you compete at this very rational level. It is price in exchange for something, uh, kilowatt hours, best price wins every time. So what happens is prices are drawn down to where the margins are at subsistence level. And this it causes a dynamic, which is kind of you know, self-reinforcing. So people fight for share. Uh, they don't have resources to invest in differentiation or marketing or brand preference or customer experience. And away we go. Uh, so having seen this in the personal computer business, and you know that being one of the reasons I wanted to switch to kind of an earlier industry that allowed for innovation, it was actually quite disappointing to see that dynamic. Uh, and I actually got to see it from across the industry as well with some work that I did uh, with SIA at the time. Uh, SIA was looking at how they could lift all the boats in solar by investing in kind of a solar brand campaign to, to raise the appeal of, of solar. And it would be cooperative across all of the industry participants and, and co-funded. Uh, and it was a serious effort at the time to, to look at this. And from that, I also got you know, a similar perspective that this commoditization and this focus on price had really already taken hold in the industry. So that was uh, disappointing as a, as a career marketer and, and as somebody who had come to understand the power of uh, a more balanced emotional and rational approach to developing an industry, presenting an offering. A couple of things come up for me there. The first is, you know, one of the things that you've been a mentor uh, of me on is this the idea of branding, how to really position uh, a company within a niche. And, you know, you've got deep experience. We mentioned in the beginning that you had consulted with some big companies, but these are not just any big companies. We're talking the Comcast and Verizons of the world. What do you think are maybe the two or three fundamental questions that executives and founders should be thinking about where branding is concerned that maybe are still a bit lacking in the solar industry that it's certainly in consumer products is a lot more prevalent? Sure. I think it's helpful to define brand in, in kind of a simple term. Uh, the, my favorite definition is that the brand is the set of associations people have with your offering or your company. And those associations are rational and emotional. So kind of confluence of all of those associations essentially is your brand. Your brand is not your logo. It's not your tagline. It's not your website. It's not your press releases. All of those things are touch points that kind of form or help to form those impressions. So, so that's number one. The, the brand is that set of impressions or associations. If those associations are motivating, right? They're relevant and powerful and form affinity, then this is a tremendous source of strength as you look to grow your business and make it profitable. Uh, but the way to affect people's impressions 
is first and foremost through experiences. So when you're trying to build your brand, you need to focus on the experience people have and whether that is relevant and motivating to people. And so you need to think about every single touch point, the colors and the slogans and the logos, those are part of it, but arguably much less a part of it than what happens when somebody orders your product or has it delivered or uses it or has a problem with your company. All of those things form a much more powerful brand impression. So anytime I've worked with uh, people either inside my own company or outside, I try to stress kind of planning to create an impression across all of those touch points and being very intentional about it. Would you be able to give us any examples of how of someone who's gotten it right? Yeah, let me use one that sort of might be an unexpected example, uh, Harley Davidson. It's a tremendous brand among you know, a certain group of people. And essentially, the, the core of the Harley Davidson brand is freedom. This is the, the benefit you get from that brand. The touch points are really interesting. You know, you've got chrome and leather and you know, all sorts of things. But one of the most powerful is the sound. The sound of Harley-Davidson essentially is an assertion of freedom. You know, as you go choppering through a small town and everybody can hear you, you're asserting your freedom. And you know, so one of the things I think about is how can we create some powerful brand touch points for solar when solar is largely hiding up on a roof or out in the desert or you know maybe even not looking that good you know on my roof or out in my parking lot what a perfect segue it's almost as though you understand the narrative that we want to create here <laughs> <laughs> i uh I, I really love that example and having grown up in rural south carolina uh around uh, my best friend who his entire family owned harleys and they literally referred to the place that was his sort of family compound as harley hill uh, i get and uh, viscerally understand the assertion of freedom that is the Harley uh, sound and the, and the loud mufflers and the, the freedom that goes along with that. You mentioned earlier, and so I want to segue into obviously the problem that you're solving by way of a, of a question that has perplexed me. It's abundantly clear to me as someone who's been in the industry 15 years why the product that is Spotlight Solar needs to exist, uh, is logical uh, in its fit in the marketplace. It's not abundantly clear to me why someone with uh, with your pedigree and your ability to sort of step in and guide the marketing discussion at any level within the industry, having seen that the bulk of the dialogue was around this narrative that price is king and we're driving price down, you choose the one piece of uh, real estate or footprint that's probably the most expensive price per square inch in the solar industry to sort of make your mark. So with that, I'd like to ask you, help us understand the problem, broaden a bit that problem and within the context that you see happening in the solar industry that uh, results in Spotlight Solar being born and how that came about. Sure. Um, Well, we see two problems that we want to address. One is solar was and still is at an early stage of adoption. Like any new technology, if it's going to enter the mainstream, if it's going to get anything like 50% or even 100% uh, penetrated into the market, it needs to be visible. This is uh, you know, a well-proven thing in the academic literature that any new technology, uh, once it becomes visible, accelerates 
um, and, and largely due to it being visible. And there have been studies that show that in uh, residential solar. The other problem that we're trying to address is that solar has, or let's call it an opportunity rather than a problem. The problem is that the industry is commoditized, as I mentioned earlier. The opportunity is that solar has all kinds of wonderful emotional value. You know, one of the things that, that drew me into the industry was the elegance of the technology itself. It sits there with no moving parts, doesn't burn anything, and you know, makes clean energy for 25, 30 plus years. This is you know, an incredible set of benefits and you know, obviously has an environmental impact at the same time. And I think the industry is largely leaving that opportunity on the table. And so here it is with its commoditized approach and its subsistence level margins fighting on price, when at the same time, it has these wonderful emotional benefits that it could be presenting authentically uh, to the market. So those are two things we're trying to address, making solar visible and making it more emotionally appealing. You know, it just occurred to me, perhaps if there's a listener here who is not super familiar with the idea of the solar tree, or you know, maybe they're uh, adjacent to the industry and just curious, help us understand what is this architectural structure? What is a solar tree in, in its essence? Well, essentially, and I hope your listeners will forgive me for putting it this way, we offer beautiful solar structures. Uh, essentially, we're trying to bring solar into public view usually in commercial or public properties, but essentially where the people are, and deploy it in a really appealing and engaging way. The whole point of this is make a statement of advocacy for solar, where a lot of people can encounter it, promote understanding and familiarity with solar, and ultimately to promote the greater adoption of solar. So, you know, you guys create these beautiful structures that effectively bring solar out of hidden places, often installed in, I'd say, relatively unattractive ways. They're not intended to be an aesthetic, aesthetic architectural structure. In most cases, they're intended to be a very utilitarian power generation product in the same way that a diesel generator is, that we just do it in a much more clean and effective and long-term sustainable way. I feel like you have positioned the product in that, in that regard, and I, and I believe that you're always pretty consistent with that. Given that we're an industry that, by our nature, sees things through a price constraint lens, what are the misconceptions that you find you most often have to address about solar trees? I think the most challenging thing is to help people understand that an investment in a an architectural solar structure or a solar tree, as everybody likes to call them, is really an investment in communication. You're investing to show your advocacy for clean energy and environmental stewardship in a way that many, many people will see and understand. It happens to make clean energy. Almost all of our structures are interconnected to the grid. Once in a great while, somebody will put them on a battery. So they're productive, but the point is to communicate. The point is to complement the much larger impactful investments that you've made on the rooftop or in a distant field that people would really appreciate if they knew about, but they're just not going to see because it's inconvenient to have them on your roof. They don't arrive by helicopter and they don't go out to the desert all that often. So 
again, kind of coming back to the challenge, you know, people look at our product and it's a solar thing. So they naturally want to know what's the cost per watt, but it's not there to produce watts primarily. It certainly does that, but its primary job is to make sure that your message gets across to other people and ultimately influences other people to follow your lead and adopt solar energy themselves. So you and I have talked offline a lot about how, in my view, having sold residential, commercial, and utility-scale solar, I see uh, Spotlight Solar product not only as a great billboard and banner for our industry of uh, the beauty that solar power actually is in the world and can create for us, uh, but I believe that it's a differentiator and a sales tool. Do you have any examples? Uh, I guess what I'm thinking about is how do installers view your product? You know, you mentioned Southern Energy Management as a, as a customer. You know, my sense is in a price-constrained world, when someone's working up a bid for a school or uh, a muni or something like that, where there's obviously like kind of everybody's going to the lowest margin, lowest dollar, how would something like making solar visible, which is your tagline, impact an installer's bid in a way that maybe positions them in a better light to a client? Oh, yeah. I'll use Southern Energy Management as a great example of this. Going back a few years ago, they had an opportunity to provide a very large uh, solar system for a school. It was going to go on essentially every surface of the school's roof. Uh, as part of that school being not only uh, net zero, but net energy surplus. So this is a tremendous opportunity for Southern Energy Management, as well as for the school district kind of make this amazing statement around sustainability and, and achieve this milestone. And in the end, the architect and the school board said, you know, this school is this remarkable uh, achievement in sustainability. It's the, it will be a source of civic pride and an educational asset by virtue of, of all of the things it's done you know, to, to be environmentally beneficial. But it looks like an ordinary school. Aren't taking kids up on the roof and our geothermal system and so forth are out of view. So what are we going to do? And Southern Energy brought them our product and they have four of our taller structures we called lift out in the front, which essentially ensure that this school is and will be differentiated and achieve that kind of civic pride and encourage other people and organizations to consider similar moves. And uh, the Southern Energy Management team shared with me at the time that the inclusion of our product was one of the reasons that they ended up winning that bid because it was a price competitive bid for the bulk of the solar, but they were the only ones who thought to bring this additional value of communicating to the community uh, by complementing the rooftop system with our structures. I'll just let you tell the story, but I believe there's some element of how they tied back to even their wellness program, like the, the value of putting the, the solar trees out in the parking lot. So there's a good-sized regional bank uh, called Huntington Bank, and they were building a new ops center in Columbus. And this was going to employ a lot of people, and they're going to hire a lot of people for this area. And they invested a lot in employee wellness and sustainability features and in renewable energy. So they have 500 kW on the roof and more elsewhere around their other properties. But a lot of this couldn't really be seen. 
So they incorporated two of our beautiful solar structures in the parking lot. And these have served as a constant reminder of all of those kind of environmental stewardship and employee wellness investments that have been made by Huntington. And you know, so I think this is a good point uh, at which to kind of point out the fact that companies are constantly seeking ways to win affinity and preference right, among employees and customers. And it happens, and I think this is a wonderful thing for the solar industry, that the marketplace is rewarding good corporate behavior when it comes to the environment and, and social. As has been shown in many, many studies, 80% or more of people, especially younger people, will favor working for a company that is more of an environmental steward or buying products from a company that's more socially responsible or living in the building of uh, you know, a, a lead-rated building or what have you. So when our clients, like Huntington, are using a lot of solar, they have reason to believe that um, you know, not only are they going to make an environmental impact and have a solid economic payback directly from that renewable energy system, but they can also expect through their reputation to you know, attract and retain employees, and that has an economic benefit, and attract and retain clients, and that has an economic benefit. And then here's the big but. But you don't see their solar. It's up on the roof or out in the desert. We are trying to help our clients to earn the reputation that they rightly deserve by virtue of their larger solar investments that are unseen, giving them something smaller that can be put in a place where it can be seen authentically representing everything else. But it, I, I hasten to say it's important for that to be engaging, right? It can't stand there kind of vaguely representing something that you can't see. There has to be be a way of connecting the dots. And I can talk about how we do that. You know, I think one of the things that I saw early when I got in the industry was that folks tried to put these solar trees at schools, as you've talked about, and even at, at residential homes as a, as a parking canopy. There's been many iterations and trials of, of how do we actually bring this forward. My understanding is that for Spotlight, you see yourself as a commercial product. You're, you know, you've got sorry, trees at, at banks and universities and through the uh, in Bayfront Park down in Miami. How do you conceptualize that within the realm of spotlight solar and certainly like where you fit in the marketplace and who, what sort of customers you aim to serve? The most important thing working with the solar channel, I'll call it, is ensuring that our product is an effective differentiator for our partners. So we have a, a program we call it Certified Integrator. And essentially, this is a, a network of solar EPCs and developers that uh, have sort of a common mindset with us that making solar visible and engaging can bring benefits to the client. We train and equip them to be comfortable with the value proposition, positioning the offering effectively, and making it easy to offer. And, you know, frankly, this is not easily done because, as I've pointed out, the industry is very much in this price-focused mode, talking about cost per watt and IRR and so forth. And all those are, are perfectly rational benefits to bring. But in that context, 
bringing in something that's about communication and brand value and winning affinity, uh, and it's really not a cost per watt thing, uh, of course, is a challenge, right? It is, it is a little bit of student body left when they are talking about the rest of the more kind of price-focused offering uh, of the mainstream. So we invest to make this easy. We have, for instance, uh, an augmented reality tool that anybody can use to kind of walk out in front of a client's building with them and envision our uh, solar trees right there and walk around them as if you're there and you can kind of see the light streaming through. You can experiment with colors and signs and would you like a seat or a table or a power outlet on, on your particular product? So making it kind of visceral, right? So that not only can the client understand what you're talking about, kind of see it in their own colors on their own front doorstep, but also understand the emotional power that it might have. Uh, anytime this has been done, it's kind of thrilling to everybody involved. So sort of having you know these type of tools going along with a very unusual offering to create this unusual experience uh, can kind of make it fun and, and anchor it and make it comfortable. I love that you've developed these tools to help installers and help them conceptualize and actually make an argument for the addition of your product on a commercial deal, um, which is where uh, Spotlight typically sort of falls as a niche. But clearly, you've had some success with FPL and a few other uh, utilities. Help me understand the economic value to these utilities uh, with regard to uh, partnering alongside Spotlight. You know, utilities are complex organizations and they have a number of goals, right? Their, their primary goals, of course, are to make uh, reliable, safe, and affordable energy. And solar is helping to a great degree. And you, know, you cited FPL, they've committed to 30 million solar panels by 2030, or in our parlance, 10 gigawatts roughly. But they also have a responsibility to educate the public about you know, what transitions to renewable energy might mean. Uh, any new technology is going to you know, kind of go through a process of people learning about it and at first kind of doubting and maybe fearing it and then getting comfortable. And part of building that comfort level is to make it visible, let people kind of see and touch it. You know, I'll, I'll give these two examples. Uh, we have done quite a bit of work with various utilities, um, but I, I think talking about maybe FPL and SMUD, you know, as two examples works well to answer your question. In FPL's case, you know, they have a lot of large scale, usually 75 megawatt systems out in rural areas. And they've done various things to communicate this, but they still had a lot of customers saying, where's the solar? We, we'd like it in our neighborhoods. So they created a program called Solar Now that would allow people to contribute uh, voluntarily uh, $9 a month to be part of a program which would essentially bring solar into people's neighborhoods at uh, parks and schools and uh, playgrounds and aquatic centers and uh, even Bayfront Park, where a lot of the uh, pregame Super Bowl events were held in Miami uh, last week. And they have been able to put solar where uh, it's been calculated about 50 million people will see it every year. 
And this will go a long way toward promoting understanding and acceptance and embracing of a solar future, which is ultimately why we're in this business. So we're, we're really pleased to be part of that effort and uh, certainly applaud them for being so bold in uh, both their large-scale investments and in making it visible and, uh, and engaging to so many people. And I'll also just note that, I mean, as far back as uh, my days at Trina, uh, I have been in discussions with FPL about the solar, uh, the way they wanted to make solar visible and using those words, not long before I met you uh, and they were looking for, you know, donations from uh, solar panel manufacturers. I at Trina and and many others were engaged in conversations with them about that um, and and in concert with Live Nation. So I I think as a marketer and I think as a person who's been in the industry for a long time, that it's remarkable that uh, FPL found a way to, I mean, they paid (laughs) for these structures. They weren't donated by Spotlight uh, as a marketing gimmick, they're making an earnest effort to invest in uh, this idea that Florida as the Sunshine State is a place where solar can and, and will thrive. So I you know, I applaud FPL for that as well. And you were going to go into SMUD? Yeah, SMUD has recently made an announcement that they will deploy our structures around various neighborhoods in Sacramento. And they've specifically selected more disadvantaged communities. And this is an anchor for a workforce development program. So we have partnered with them and uh, Baker Energy team run by Dusty Baker, who, by the way, just got a a job uh, managing the uh, Houston Astros and the Sacramento Kings and the Urban League, Greater Greater Sacramento Urban League, um, Black Chamber of Commerce, and a number of other community partners all coming together to help 200 plus young people to train for careers in solar. And our engaging, beautiful solar structures will be at places like the Urban League and a high school and a train station and a community center and so on as kind of beacons to draw people into this solar career opportunity and to represent the city and all these partners and SMUD as advocates for more clean energy. As you may know, SMUD was one of the pioneers and still is one of the pioneers uh, in adopting solar in a utility context. Uh, And this is the next step. You know, every commercial solar opportunity counts. So why lose the sale to high demand charges? Did you know that you can offer up to 30% in demand charge savings at a tenth of the cost of installing a battery? With Demandex, the innovative new demand charge reduction software from Extensible Energy, your client can boost ROI and reduce payback time without all the expense. And as a Suncast listener, you can get a free demand charge analysis at extensibleenergy.com forward slash Suncast. Hey, while you're there, check out three recent case studies on how this easy to install software is a win-win for you and your commercial solar clients. DemandX just works. It works for office buildings, retail, churches, and more. See for yourself at extensibleenergy.com forward slash Suncast. Did you miss the live sessions of the Suncast Clean Energy Summit? We had so much fun with some of the most inspiring and impactful leaders in the clean economy, learning about where the industry is going and giving you practical advice on how you too can participate and grow with us. Well, you're in luck because my team recorded the whole thing and you can check it out at suncastsummit.com. 
for a limited time for free. You can also see them by joining us at the Clean Energy Guild private Facebook group where all the videos are also posted. Both are linked at suncastsummit.com. Craig, I know that there are a ton of stories like this that we give into, uh, and I would love uh, to give uh, everyone a chance to hear them. So we'll mention at the end how folks can find uh, find you and learn more about you. But I do want to uh, ask a few other questions more around uh, your career and lessons learned. What are some key lessons for you or takeaways from some of the most important mentors in your life or career? There was a point at Lenovo when I was um, leading when I was leading uh, marketing strategy and design and brand, which I felt like was a role that I had been moving toward my whole career, our CFO asked whether I would like to join the investor relations team and move to Hong Kong to you know, be VP of investor relations. And my response, uh, and it wasn't you know, too different than these words was, I'm not sure I would want to work for a company that would hire me to be their VP of investor relations, because I don't think I know anything about that. Uh, now that I run a startup, I know a little bit more about investor relations, but at the time I didn't. And I felt like I was in a role that I was especially well suited for, was passionate for, uh, kind of resonated with my gifts and, and interests and said, I'd really like to stay in this please. Uh, so I passed on what might've been a good career stepping stone in certain respects, uh, but it was kind of what I felt was a much better fit with those gifts that I've been given. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting uh, point as well, right? Because so many of us, I think this happens a lot in your 30s, you're offered opportunities to sort of stretch yourself and grow and, and you naturally question like, am I doing the right thing? Is this really where I'm gifted? Is there some other shiny object? Uh, and so I, I love hearing that story about your ability to truly really think long-term, not only about where you want to live, but what sort of work you want to be doing. I also had a, a really wise uh, mentor uh, or boss, I suppose, uh, early in my career. And I was very eager to be promoted into greater responsibility and so forth. And he got out this piece of paper and he drew a couple of S-curves. And one of them uh, kind of accelerated very quick, but kind of reached its, its height, its asymptote pretty early on. Uh, the other one was sort of slower to build, but went to a much higher level. And his point was, you need to stay in a role long enough to learn it really well and suffer the consequences of your own decisions because you're still in the seat in order to really master something and then be able to utilize those lessons later in your career. And you're going to be much more capable and have a, a, a much greater impact in the long term uh, if you kind of take it slow and deep instead of trying to go you know, as high and fast as possible. And that's a lesson that I've, I've taken on and shared with other people, uh, you know, real high potential people eager to move up quickly uh, over the, the rest of my career. You know, often people kind of enter careers thinking that the destination should be CEO. And so they, they, they start doing something they've been training to do, and then they're very eager to kind of fill in where they might have weaknesses. So they're a strong marketer, but they don't 
much about finance. So they go get a job in finance in order to round themselves out and be prepared to be the CEO. Uh, and then two years later, they're a mediocre in finance and everybody's forgotten what a great marketer they are. It might be that organizations, and I think it is, that, that organizations benefit most from people doing those things they're really great at and kind of majoring on being tremendously impactful with the kind of gifts and skill sets that they have instead of force-fitting themselves in some kind of effort to be well-rounded into things that they are just not wired for. Uh, so that was a, a lesson that I took relatively early and decided that I ought to major on marketing and design and branding and things like this that I had been training for and which resonated. And essentially, you know, that's how I approached the solar industry. You know, when I was really motivated to get into the solar industry uh, and kind of looking around at, at various things that, that could be contributed to the industry, I really filtered those opportunities on what do I do well? Uh, sort of naturally. And that's not to say that I'm unwilling to learn something new. Absolutely not. I, I love learning things new every day. But I know my strengths are in marketing and brand building and design and kind of using those to bring you know, an emotional and rational approach to something to create a profitable business and industry. Um, so that, that's really how I tried to kind of target things when looking for opportunities in the industry and why Spotlight Solar is anchored around marketing and design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like we could, uh, I, mean, I could probably do an entire other episode on, on this fundamental piece. And, um, and I've been thinking possibly I'll hold a, a roundtable of Suncast guests who have used leverage to grow their business in the sense that they've gone and raised money. You mentioned earlier that you raised a series round, a seed round. Because I think that the way that you, you know, not everyone's growth path who raises money is the same, right? And, um, and you guys have, have had slow and steady growth as your product becomes more well-known, whereas others kind of are in this perpetual uh, sort of fundraising cycle because they have a faster growth curve. I think that I'm, I want to, I'm going to table that one, but I think that's what we're sort of food for thought we're thinking about in a future discussion with you, Craig, for sure, that, um, that likely the Suncast. Uh, tribe would enjoy listening to. Well, as we round third base here, uh, some of the questions that uh, you are likely familiar with, uh, I'll, I'll finish off on. Uh, I believe that leaders are readers, uh, and I would love to hear from you. What book or books have you recommended or gifted the most and why? Well, recently, I'm deeply into one that won't be kind of on everybody's business list, which is the Spiritual Exercises of Ignatius of Loyola. So this is pretty off the beaten path. Uh, but anybody who wants to kind of really go deep for 32 weeks uh, can, can head there. I'm fond of, of Crossing the Chasm, uh, which kind of talks about how uh, new technologies achieve kind of mainstream adoption. And this is, you know, something that really informs our philosophy of making solar more visible as part of uh, promoting its adoption. Uh, and uh, I finally got through my dad's book called Sunlight to Electricity, which was written in 1975 and published by MIT Press. And this was about, uh, you know, in a 1975 lens uh, solar 
photovoltaic technology and its outlook and also industry projections. So it's pretty interesting last year to finally uh, show my dad some respect and get through this book uh, and see, you know, where he was uh, wrong and, and, and kind of right. But uh, I love that I'm now in this industry, uh, looking back on the fact that my, my dad had this uh, interest, you know, back many years ago. That is, uh, that is fantastic. How did I not know that your dad wrote a book in 1975 on solar technology? That is, that's... <laughs> I'd love to say it was the thing that inspired me uh, to get into the industry, uh, but I can't make that claim. But I, it is a, a source of pride for me that uh, he, was, he was very early. Uh, you know, I've, I've often thought that I kind of get into things a little too early for my own good. And, uh, you know, maybe I picked that up from my dad. There's something I do know about you uh, and that has been demonstrated in this conversation is your thoughtfulness about uh, being consistent uh, and, and practicing uh, your craft. Would you say that there is any particular or set of hab- uh, one particular set of habits or consistent practices that have given you the greatest impact or yield in your life or work? One of the things I think is the most important is to continually ask whether what you're doing is beneficial. Is it beneficial to a client? Because if so, you might have chance at having a profitable business. If not, no. Also, what are you here for? If you are not bringing benefit to people through either what your business does or how you do it, uh, then it's probably time for a change. You know, one of the things I, I practice is Anytime I have an opportunity to speak to an audience, remind myself to love the audience. Try to figure out what can I do to bring some sort of goodness to them, to bring some sort of benefit in what I'm saying. Mm. Uh, and I'll try to be prayerful about that usually before I speak to a group. Uh, and I find not only does that make the presentation go way better, but you know, hopefully you achieve and that, that intent mm. and bring some good to the audience. Uh, and certainly when dealing with team members, peers and employees and suppliers and so forth, really caring about the benefit that your, your work with them brings them, I think really can kind of help you make sound decisions. Uh, we, we have a principle here called create dignifying work. And, you know, that has a lot of layers, but we really challenge ourselves to do that, not only with our own team, but everybody we deal with, whether it's our certified integrator partners, our clients, our suppliers, our accountant, everybody. We're, we're, we're trying to be dignifying in that relationship and, you know, again, to maybe overuse the word benefit, but, you know, just be a benefit to people. I think that the SMUD deal we referenced is really emblematic of this as well. Well, Craig. Uh, I know that there are going to be a number of folks here who perhaps have never uh, really heard of Spotlight and would like to reach out to you. What's the best way for folks to find you and interact with, uh, with you, learn more about your product? Well, if you want to interact with me directly, you can email me at craig at spotlightsolar.com. Uh, but I'd say our website, spotlightsolar.com, uh, gives the best representation of what we do and what we've done with clients. And there's a lot of really fun pictures there of beautiful solar structures in, 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 uh, in action. 
Yeah, and we'll we'll certainly link in the blog as we always do to some fun uh, pictures and your LinkedIn profile and your Twitter profile, so that folks can reach you on the socials. If folks are out in the world and uh, beyond Bayfront Park, where else might they encounter uh, a spotlight structure in in perhaps popular places? Clarksville Commons is a mixed-use facility in Maryland. Uh, we mentioned Huntington Banks. Uh, mm-hmm. Op Center in Columbus. There's University of Denver, uh, University of California, San Diego. North Carolina State. <laughs> oh, yes. North Carolina State. Uh, there's a number of universities. I, I'm just giving some examples. Uh, there are a number of schools in Virginia that uh, we are privileged to work with Dominion uh, to, to bring solar as a uh, kind of curriculum enhancement. Really, a number of segments from parks to businesses to multifamily housing to water parks uh, all over the place. Uh, and what's the, what's the Flamingo Park out in Utah? <laughs> yes. We worked with Tracy Aviary, which is, I think, the oldest continually operating aviary in the country and a fixture in Salt Lake City. And several years ago, they got interested in uh, using our product uh, to communicate their advocacy for clean energy, uh, which fits really well with their uh, kind of stewardship of the natural environment and their use of uh, solar in places that you can't see it that well. And uh, they also were partnering with Rocky Mountain Power uh, to try to make solar more visible. And so they thought, what better place than the flamingo habitat where 150,000 people go every year. And while we're at it, why don't we put these 22-foot solar trees inside where the flamingos live, not indoors, but inside the flamingo (laughs) habitat. And for good measure, we'll make them pink to match the birds. So if you want to see this, you know, frankly, I thought this would be the end of Spotlight Solar because, (laughs) you know, we worry that of being depositioned as frivolous, even though we have very serious purpose and return on visibility and economic value. You know, if you see solar trees in pink in a flamingo habitat, you could be forgiven for, you know, thinking that we're kind of an afterthought. But I think that's a tremendous example of the power of visible solar because 150,000 people go there every year. They will always remember seeing solar and its advocacy from Rocky Mountain Power and Tracy Aviary and by extension, the city of Salt Lake City. And when these were installed, the mayor of Salt Lake City came out. So did the mayor of Salt Lake City County. There were feature stories on the front page of both of the local newspapers, all kinds of television coverage, et cetera. So if you're trying to make solar visible and memorable, that just hit on every cylinder. So Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that story too. Um, I'm not sure how many more pink ones we're going to make, but uh, <laughs> that was out of the park. Well, it's a unique opportunity as well for those that uh, that were able to take the journey out uh, at SPI this past year and actually see them in person. It was one of the more uh, interesting and unique uh, sort of side events of the show. Yeah. I remember that for sure. <laughs> well, Craig, let's... It was our booth, you know, 10 minutes That's away. That's right. <laughs> well, Craig, let's end today as we always do with a bold prediction. What one thing do you see happening in the market that perhaps nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? Well, my my optimistic crystal ball is that the whole industry will start to kind of balance the rational and emotional approach to solar and 
become a faster growing but more profitable industry so that it continues to invest in differentiation, strategic advantage. And instead of all kind of looking like, you know, pile of sand, you know, a a commodity available Mm -hmm. for a price, it's a much more dynamic, healthier, differentiated and interesting space uh, and really to the benefit of everybody. Craig Merrigan is co-founder and CEO of Spotlight Solar, creator of beautiful aesthetic architectural solar structures. uh, And uh, I'm sure that you will begin to see them cropping up, as it were, uh, throughout many solar installations across the land, making solar more visible. Craig, thank you for spending some time with us today, helping us draw the line between uh, beautiful uh, and beneficial and uh, and uh, defending, as it were, the ROI of a uh, product like Spotlight. It's really been a pleasure to talk with you, Nico. Thanks so much. All right, Solar Warrior, that was exciting. And today's episode is in the can. I hope that we'll see you back here next week for more insights and value bombs. If you're eager, though, to keep learning, then you, my fellow Philomath, can find the resources and highlights from this and every discussion on Suncast, along with the social media links, book recommendations, and so much more at the blog at mysuncast.com. That's also where you'll find other ways to engage with our Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly tribe-exclusive emails, or even joining our secret inner circle of infinite learners and clean economy champions we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so hope that you would consider rating and reviewing this show so that others can find Suncast. It really does make a big difference. Hey, a special final thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about the sponsors and their offers at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.